presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute and your host today. This is not this show's first conversation on housing affordability. On several occasions, I've had the pleasure of interviewing different guests to talk about the scope of the problem and different solutions. However, for today's topic, we'll be taking a deeper dive into a persistent problem and reoccurring policy topic in Colorado, referred to broadly as the condo defect reform, a body of laws that impact the risk and costs associated with the construction of condominiums is rising to the forefront. Joining me today are three thoughtful and knowledgeable individuals to dissect where have all the condos gone and what can be done to bring them back. Pete Alfari is the executive director of Maker Housing and Adams County Housing Authority and CSI's Housing Fellow. He recently authored a report titled The Decline of Condominium Construction in Colorado addressing litigation reform to alleviate the housing affordability crisis. Peter, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here, Earl. Thanks for having me. It's always good to see you and participate, Peter. Also joining us, Ted Lighty, the CEO of Colorado Association of Home Builders. Ted has been an outspoken advocate for reforms that address housing affordability and condo construction litigation reforms specifically. Welcome, Ted. It's good to see you again. Earl, good to be with you again. Thanks for having me back on. Now well, you're welcome. And I am also pleased to welcome a new guest to the show, Bruce Lykoff. Bruce is an attorney with BCLP and represents a range of clients in the real estate and land use space. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Look forward to having you on board. Morning, Earl. Thanks for inviting me to the show to discuss such a critical topic for Colorado's future. Yeah, you're right. And let's get started. Peter, please set the stage for us. Listeners to this show will know that we face significant housing affordability challenges. What exactly is the issue surrounding condo litigation costs, and why does this topic stand out? Yeah, thanks, Earl. So essentially, the litigation environment is so fraught with risk that due to the uh, prevalence uh, and scope and impact of uh, construction liabilities impact on developers' ability to secure insurance uh, based off of said lit- litigation environment. And so essentially, condo development has grinded to a halt. Uh, it is a, a red flag warning uh, hanging over the heads of all developers, and I'll say Coloradans as well. And so the litigious environment, uh, you will be sued. It's not a question of if, it is a question of when and and for how much uh, exposure you have in reference to either uh, being forced into a settlement or try to roll the dice for the jury trial. And so the cost associated with developing condo product has become so risky that we've seen developers exit the space. And with it, uh, condos have exited the marketplace, which is concerning because condos are the most affordable housing type for purchase. It is literally the first rung uh, the first stair on the housing uh, ownership ladder. Uh, so with its disappearance, so has uh, affordable and attainable home ownership for Coloradans. Ted, you're you're right in the trenches along with Peter with regards to the issue of building condos, and except you represent the industry as a whole, the housing industry. 
you know, we've had this litigation for some time and we've had the problem for some time, you know, help us understand uh, what, what can be done now, if anything, and why now. Uh, this has been a persistent problem for years. Can we really do something now, prioritize it now? Well, I mean, that that's the hope. I, I think that there's a growing demand out there among policymakers. You know, the, the why is for all the reasons Peter just just walks you through the homeownership, the ability to build wealth, all of that. But the how is, you know, trying to build a coalition um, where we think, you know, that reflects all of those in the housing space policy, but also in the local government space, our civic and our business groups. Um, you know, you've shared with us as an employer, your worries of being able to house your 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 staff, right? Your team, how can you grow your business if you have no place to put them, if their quality of life is going to be such that they can't live anywhere near where they live. So there's so many reasons on, on the why. The how is a little more difficult, um, but I think in Peter's report, he outlined some pretty good policy prescriptions. I think there's a ready and willing coalition of both legislators um, as well as policy, or stakeholders um, that want to pursue some of these policy prescriptions. And I think um, they'll have a really good effect if we can get them done the way that we've out that, that we hope to outline them. Now is also why now is also because I think there is a groundswell of support. Um, I think the governor's conversation that he started, let's say, on Senate Bill 213 last year um, got everybody thinking about okay, if it's not this, what is it? Um, I can tell you that you can't have a serious conversation about housing affordability if you don't also have construction litigation reform as a piece of that, because you won't get the for sale condominium product if it's not part of the solution. I want to push you on that a little bit if I could. Sure. Uh, in the report, it points out that the, quote, production condo type builders have um, left or evacuated Colorado. Do you feel that even if we were to do something, that are we talking about things that could be done to get th these uh, larger builders back into the uh, Colorado environment in a big way? Is there is there something that can be done uh, beyond the 2017 uh, legislation yeah. to get them back into the environment and building? Great question. And I'd start by saying, Earl, those companies never left the market. They just stopped building that product type. They stopped ah. building condos pretty much wholesale from, from the production builder standpoint. We had one left that was doing it um, up until recently, and they found themselves in litigation again. And I don't think they have plans to to go out there and build any more condos. Um, so what so has to change? Do what, what, you think something can change that Something has to change if we want this product type to come back. And it's very important that this product type does come back. It helps us, um, you know, with with the supply of housing that, that we sorely need. And as Peter, you know, eloquently outlined, it's it's a much needed product type for those to get onto the kind of the ladder of, of home ownership and, and that ladder of building wealth. That's the first rung, right? Oftentimes in most markets. Can something be done is the question. We think that it can. Uh, we know there still would be a narrow path for victory, but if we can outline issues, and I think we'll probably get into that, um, outline prescriptions of, of what we can address. Um, right now, we've got a litigation kind of problem, right? We need to find, it's kind of a construction defect resolution process. You know, there's a defect in the resolution process, right, for these claims. Um, and everything goes directly into litigation. If we can find other ways to resolve these disputes, 
um, that both make the homeowner whole more quickly um, and provide a little more certainty in the risk profile for, for these types of projects for builders. Um, I think more and more of them, yes, will come back into the market to build this much needed product. Um, but it, it will Bruce, take some time. Go ahead. Bruce, let's turn to you because you've, you've got uh, a lot of perspective on this, on this particular issue. You've represented developers who have faced the issues. You've uh, with what uh, Ted just brought up, you know, you've tried to help them uh, work their way through litigation. Um, tell us about your experience, and uh, is it really as bad as uh, Ted is letting on? Yeah, I have been representing developers in Colorado for many years, and I've seen as developers, both local and national, have adjusted their behavior. They either avoid the condo products or they avoid the Colorado market entirely. Um, the ones that are still here. They're building townhomes. I do lots of townhome work. Or they're building four rent apartments. And I have several clients that call me once or twice a year regularly, and they say, is it now safe to build condos in Colorado? And it really hurts when I have to tell them that the law in Colorado has not changed. And so, yes, the situation's at least as bad as Peter and Ted have described it. And the, the risk-reward analysis comparing condos against four rent multifamily is skewed heavily toward building rental apartments. Well, I, I want to get... Uh... Ted and Peter into this conversation about your experience. Um, in your report, Peter, you talked about the, the ratio of condos to apartments, and I just was stunned by the 1 to 2.12.5, and then the inf influx of people coming into the state. I just, I would think, uh, Peter and Ted, that's a huge opportunity. So what have we done to uh, supplement the condos that aren't being built, or can we do that? That people are just moving into apartments. What's going on? Yeah, Earl, you know, the data doesn't lie. And it's Colorado consumers who are struggling and are aggrieved because of the litigious nature of the Colorado Construction Defect Action Reform Act. And the data, you know, draws a, a direct correlation to the implementation of what we call Sadara in 2001. You know, and development cycles, as you know, Earl, generally is three to five years. And so, you know, what we really started to see was after the frothy activity started to occur and trial attorneys started to demand uh, more and more of developers uh, with windfall settlements and payouts, we saw a direct correlation to, as you mentioned earlier, developers leaving the space. But let me let me share some data with our listeners today that, that should terrify any Coloradan who is interested in purchasing a starter home uh, as a condo product or downsizing because they're overhoused. As we know, housing is a continuum. If we are not in equilibrium, uh, some Coloradan sector is in pain. And as we can see here, this is leading towards a overall crisis of affordability. We're the second most uh, expensive uh, state in the in the nation for homeowners per our home buyer misery index here at CSI, which we just released last month. We're the eighth most expensive state in the country for renters. And this is directly correlated back to the 76% reduction in condo starts. And as Bruce mentioned, those condos that do see their way to market are in the upper quintile directly because of the cost of insurance and the margins that are required for developers to allow them to enter the space. You mentioned it. So from 2002 to 2008, for every one condo we built, there was 1.25 apartments introduced into the marketplace as well. Since the devastating impacts of Sadara, 
from 2018 to 2022, to 2022, excuse me, for every one condo produced, we've built 14 apartments. This is directly correlated back to that cost of insurance. And as we said in the report, there is a 233% risk premium for the purchase of insurance for condo construction compared to that of uh, single family or multifamily product. Bruce mentioned the safe harbor of rental product, and that's exactly what he's describing. To put it another way, uh, to kind of demonstrate, I mentioned the number of production builders, the number of active condo developers uh, in that same time spread. We had uh, over 146 active condo developers uh, in 2002 to 2008. And when we took the number in this year, that number had dropped to 23. And so what's happening is, is that the environment is so dangerous, as we discussed, that it just does not pencil out for developers to be able to introduce product to this segment, which is so sorely desired. And I'll end there and give it back to you, Bruce, to say there is a strong market demand for condos. The idea that this is a product type that Coloradans have turned away from is not supported by the evidence. For every, there were 2.4 resold condos for every new condo sale in 2005. In 2022, there were 30 condo resales for every new sale. And so this is a segment we need to revitalize. Coloradans need to be prioritized and we need to reduce the amounts of payouts and the frequency of litigation. This is about high quality construction with expedited resolution for any sort of issues that have arisen during the construction period so Coloradans can get safely and attainably housed. Before I go to Bruce, because Bruce, this is going to fall on your shoulders in a second. Ted, I want to reconfirm something if I can. Are, Are you saying that your industry that you represent can produce the quality product that's needed if the environment was such that allowed it and you didn't have to worry about litigation and and the fear of litigation. And there would be some way of which Bruce is going to come up hopefully with some ideas as to how the litigation can be lessened. If we have a quality product, are you telling us that the people are there to build a quality product? Yeah, I mean, I think we have the, you know, there's challenges in the in the entirety of the industry right now, labor and land and all that. But I think, yes, the, the will exists to do this if the litigation environment were to change it, you know, and we're not talking about relieving ourselves of liability. It's I talked earlier about how we resolve these these disputes, right? Are there other ways outside of purely just going straight to litigation um, to resolve these just disputes? And I think we I think there are, and I think we'll probably get into that. One thing I just want to I want to build off of, and then Bruce can correct me if I'm wrong when he goes, you know. It's not necessarily Sadara itself, as Peter talked about. It was changes that were made to Sadara, especially in 2007 with the Homeowner Protection Act, which really effectively, you know, made us, uh, effectively made us, I want to repeat that, a strict liability state, right? So there's kind of this notion that you have to build the perfect home. And if you don't, if you fall short of perfection, then you can be sued, you know, any number of ways or any number of of claims can be made against the workmanship of the home. We would like to, you know, say, if there's, there's, you know, if, if you're not harming the quiet enjoyment of the home, if it's not a uh, structural or life and safety issue, um, there's probably other ways, better ways to go in there 
and remedy to you know perform the work that's necessary to get the home back in order. Um, but oftentimes, you know, you just can't build the perfect home anywhere. We're talking about hundreds and thousands of different materials, all man-made, somewhat imperfect. Hundreds of different people that touch a condominium project in any given year over many months with different types of weather. There's you know bound to be little issues that we need to get through after a home is or a, a project is completed and the COs have been issued. But we need to find a better way to resolve these disputes than we have right now. Bruce, you've been uh, you've been in the fight now for for many years, and uh, how do you see uh, legislative changes? What the, what do you would hope that we can possibly try to achieve in this arena so that we can solve the condo problem as far as getting back into some kind of a, a growth in that market so we can have affordable housing. What what are your thoughts from a, a lawyer's perspective? Thank you, Earl. I, I think the CSI report, the suggestions there for reform, great starting point. One of the one of the big issues, and this probably will shock your listeners, is that if a claim against the builder is made for an alleged construction defect, builder has no right to actually go remedy it. The builder can go ask or beg or plead, but the builder actually has no right, which is very unusual. We have laws for other industries like the auto industry. Your auto dealer gets a chance to repair an alleged defect. Uh, but here the builder has absolutely no right to do that. Hold on, stop, 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 stop. I, <laughs> I... Wait a minute. So you're telling me that if I'm a builder and somebody says, hey, my sink doesn't hold water, I can't say, hey, let me come in and fix it. I'll take care of it right away. Well, can't you can't you can say that, Earl. But especially if the homeowner has hired a lawyer, the lawyer is going to say, we're not letting you in to do that. That's that's what you're going to hear. Typically, okay. obviously, the, the kinds of defects will be more serious than the sink isn't draining. I mean, the arguments we hear it all the time from the from from the trial lawyers. I can tell you, is they're going to say, if God forbid you had surgery and your surgeon left a sponge in your stomach, are you going to use the same surgeon to take that out of your stomach? This is, of course, a very different situation, right? What's the rationale for that kind of thinking? Help me out. Ultimately, it's an effort to to sort of build the case to move toward a big settlement. Because remember, the trial lawyers typically in these cases get paid on contingency fee which in the end is a big source of this problem because they have an incentive to push this case further, to inflate numbers effectively. It's very difficult. And the poor homeowners in the middle, because in the end, the homeowner just wants their house to work. They don't care about litigation. They don't care about lawyers. They probably don't like lawyers. They want their house to work. The suggestion for reform here of having a right to remedy is a great idea because it should allow the builders to talk directly to their customers, the homeowners, and where they think it's appropriate, offer to get things fixed, um, which is obviously going to be much quicker for a homeowner than waiting for litigation or arbitration. Homeowner now, under the ideas we're talking about, will have the ability to be involved in deciding who gets to do the repair. Uh, We could talk about that more as to who's better to do it. Um, It would be a huge advantage. Um, I should say, just to be clear for the listeners, that whether any of these reforms will work, the insurance industry is going to look carefully to see what happens to the loss exposure. As you know, the insurance industry is kind of backward looking. They look at their their risk exposure based on what's happened in the past. So we may pass some new laws. We may tell the insurance industry, these are fabulous, but they're going to say, show me. They're going to say, we got to see some experience that our loss exposure is going down before we lower rates or more companies come back in the market. I've got to start somewhere. And as we already discussed, 
this is the time to start. Wow. Even if we come up with a solution, you're saying that the impact on the cost, which I believe Peter mentioned is like 5.5% of the uh, construction cost is associated with uh, insurance, and that's like five times higher than a normal house, if I remember the numbers correctly. All right, Ted, you're in the hot seat, buddy. You supposedly walk around down down to state capitol and represent all of the the builders, and uh, you can you know knock on the governor's office and door, and he answers. What you know? What do you think is going to happen? What's the governor's office going to advocate for? And what do you think about uh, the legislation that could possibly come out in affordable housing? Any chance for reform? I often say. I, I thank the governor for, for creating the conversation in the legislature that he did last year. Um, whether you agreed or disagreed with Senate Bill 213 or you thought a different, you know, different, that bill should have been modified differently than it was before it ultimately um, died. It doesn't matter what, what we what we did is we started a much needed conversation about what needs to happen from a policy standpoint um, for more housing affordability, for more housing to come online so that we can bring down the cost of housing. As we stated last year in our in the hearings around 213 and talking to stakeholders and continue to say it because nothing has changed, you can't have any serious conversation about housing affordability policy that doesn't also include construction litigation reform so that we can get this much needed housing product back into the marketplace um, with enough velocity, if you will, with enough volume to actually bring down prices that can actually, you know, and, and it, the point is, again, right, Earl, we've talked about that condos do continue to get built, but now they're the upper quintile or wherever Peter talked about, right, they're, they're the more luxury end. They've disappeared as that entry level product. We need them to come back to serve as another entry level product. I don't know where the governor's office is going to be on this specific point. I do know that they're planning to bring back legislation similar to, to last year, that they want to continue this conversation. So we'll continue to talk about this needing to, uh, this is a necessary piece of that puzzle if you want to do be serious about a policy that will tribute, contribute to more housing being built and ultimately bringing down the cost of housing. Guys, this is rather concerning uh, as a citizen and an employer of uh, what I consider to be uh, uh, very capable young professionals. You know, I like to have housing. I must admit, uh, I heard the governor uh, speak at an energy panel, and his first 150 words had nothing to do with energy and had everything to do with what he was focused on and affordable housing. So hopefully, Ted, uh, it's more than just um, him talking about it, but he has his attention. Bruce, I guess I'm a little bit concerned about a comment you made, and I'd like to follow up on it if we could, and I'd like to have uh, Peter and Ted also jump in. You made the comment that even though you could make the legislature, legislation better and more, uh, I guess, uh, compatible with people having a chance to uh, build and not have the litigation, but yet you have the insurance companies saying, wait a minute, um, we're not convinced that the Colorado environment is such that we can lower the insurance cost. What's, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Bruce, but what's the answer then? Is there some way you can engage the insurance industry in some of this legislation to help them feel comfortable uh, so that that egregious cost, insurance cost on building a condo might be able to come down based on legislation that we could pass? We will definitely be engaging the insurance industry in any of this proposed legislation. We absolutely have to have them because this is the essential problem. They're going to have to require, we're going to have to require changes in the way they write their policies. Policies currently exclude coverage, basically, 
if a builder voluntarily does repairs, I mean, insurance company said you didn't get sued, basically. You went out and voluntarily repaired it, so we're going to need to work on that. And you're exactly right. We're going to want the insurance industry to get behind solutions that they think will improve their position quickly, not over an extended period. So that's definitely going to be happening. And uh, the industry, what do they think? Okay, we talk about legislation. Um, Do they think that uh, we should get the industry uh, insurance companies? But who else should be engaged in helping come up with legislation, if anybody? Yeah, no, I mean, everybody, every entity, every man, woman that that contributes to the construction and design, um, but also right? The the teachers union should be engaged because their teachers are often the ones that can't afford um, the police unions, the firefighter unions, the pipe fitters. Everybody has a stake, every employer, um, every group that represents employers, you know, that that has seen jobs fly over Colorado from, you know, from California to Texas or somewhere in the Sun Belt because their housing is less expensive than us, or they have a more same um, kind of litigation environment. Um, everybody should be involved in this, the lenders for sure. I, I would say that, that insurance, back to the question on insurance, right, they've told us a number of times, you got to reduce the magnitude and the frequency of these claims. And that's how you'll get more underwriting in the marketplace. And that's how what will bring down the cost of insurance. So anything we have to do has to be a focus. Our attention has to be paid to how do we reduce the magnitude and frequency of these claims, which is why, you know, the report Peter authored looks at other um, prescriptions that policy prescriptions that would take us out of a litigation environment and bring us into whether it's a right to remedy or the delegable duties or using the middle income housing authority um, and their their ability to, you know, to build a house on or sorry, units on uh, publicly owned land. Anything we can do to, to continue to build where we can reduce kind of that litigation liability environment. Peter, is there anybody that's organizing the, the people like Ted just mentioned? Oh my God, that's a broad group of people. The only people you didn't mention that maybe I didn't pick up on Chamber of Commerce. I just saw the report uh, that they put out. And my goodness, that is not a very favorable outlook with regards to uh, Colorado's continual economic growth. And one of the cornerstones for the problems, Peter, was affordable housing. People just saying, hey, they can't afford to move their office or even grow their businesses in Colorado. So is there some some uh, organization that is trying to encompass all of this so that we have a coordinated effort down at the down at the uh, state house yeah earl i think just to to kind of jump in and share any any coloradan who has a vested interest in main street which i think <laughs> we all do has a vested interest in addressing this broken liti- litigious environment i think the key thing that we keep hearing is is that the, the, there's a myth right now that home builders are delivering a product that lacks quality, and we can test that. We kind of are saying that actually, no, the uh, litigious environment is being exploited for gain, and, uh, and the, the Coloradans are, are not benefiting from that, right? And so what we are, everything that we've just presented uh, is about high-quality construction and uh, reducing the frequency and magnitude of claims due to expedited addressing of any alleged defects, as we've discussed. So we know that the Municipal League is very much engaged upon this. We know that the membership organizations for county commissioners here in Colorado, CCI uh, and CCAT, 
are also interested and engaged in this. And then I know my friend uh, Ted here is also doing a lot of work at the State House with a engaged group of stakeholders from across the continuum who are looking to, again, drive resolution to this uh, amongst the three recommended solutions in our report. And as I'll just name them again, is delegable duties and right to remedy, which uh, allocates responsibility uh, to the appropriate uh, uh, crafts individual, uh, the vendor, an alternative to costly litigation, and again, delivering homeowner confidence through expedited uh, any issue resolution. A safe harbor provision. Um, we, we would like to explore the creation of a statewide warranty standard that would be a permissible bill that local governments could adopt. Uh, as Ted mentioned, or excuse me, as Bruce mentioned, um, we want to be able to provide uh, speedy resolutions and some sort of safe harbor that doesn't exist today that we see in uh, just about every other segment of our economy. And then as, as Ted mentioned, empowering the, the new Colorado Income uh, Housing Authority, the Middle Income Housing Authority, MEHA, uh, to revitalize the space. And because we know that the market is going to be trepidatious because of the litigious environment, as, as Bruce mentioned, we the MEHA exists to go ahead and enter this space. They can facilitate, just as they do middle-income rental product development, by partnering with market developers to be able to promulgate condo development for middle-income Coloradans, get some products started with some uh, some some liability protections uh, that, as we describe in the report, and so if we look at those three things in tandems, we should be able again to reduce the frequency and magnitude of claims, reintroduce product into the traditional condo uh, uh, price points that we know Coloradans are so desperate to receive. Uh, and then ultimately go ahead and see a opportunity for uh, homeowners to be able to purchase these products. And so, Ted, you had mentioned, I know you're working on some potential litigation. Is Can you share with us perhaps where you are and what you see coming this next session? Yeah, so as in 2015 and 16 and in 17 that led to the bill in 2017, uh, there is a consortium called the Homeownership Opportunity Alliance. It's a mix of business and civic groups, uh, housing those in, in, in the industry, outside the industry. So the Chambers of Commerce that you referenced, Earl, the economic development groups, everybody that recognizes that housing has become such a big issue that it's affecting our ability to create and retain good jobs. Um, that's obviously impacting the larger economy. Coming together to say, We've got to do something in this realm to continue to reform construction litigation um, so that we can get more of this product type built. Um, so that Homeownership Opportunity Alliance will be um, the primary uh, group that is trying to affect change in this area. Hey, I appreciate you bringing that up. Thanks, Peter, for referring that. Peter, I want to go back to one thing so we better understand it, because I don't think a lot of people are aware of the Middle Income Housing Authority that you mentioned and how that might work. And from what I can see and what I've been able to read, I looked at their website, uh, this is for rental housing. And so are you, at least what their website refers to as rental housing, uh, how would you see that uh, impacting uh, condo development and how might one go about uh, working with them for condo development? Yeah, Earl, thank, thank you for that question. Uh, I do have the honor of serving on the Middle Income Housing Authority Board. I want to share that with, with our listeners today. Um, it would require uh, a revision in statute. So uh, during the assembly, if the assembly would run a bill to uh, add to existing statute, granting the Middle Income Housing Authority the right to promulgate, just as we do with rental developments, in the for sale sector. And so 
ultimately we would require uh, legislation. Um, it would, would not be that onerous uh, and it would act as a complement uh, to MIHA's mission of delivering middle income, basically to Coloradans earning 80% of area median income, all the way up to about 150% of area median income in the high country. The sweet spot, uh, the traditional uh, um, segment that condos have served for decades, uh, but no longer do here. And so it would be the same, Earl. Uh, Miha would partner uh, with private developers, nonprofit developers as well. Um, Miha would retain uh, ownership of the land, as Ted had mentioned. Uh, and then at some point in the future, perhaps after the expiration of the statute of repose and limitations, Miha would then convey said land to the HOA, uh, and we would accomplish our mission uh, of being able to provide a attainable, uh, safe, and affordable housing, be it through rental products, and now introducing the gold standard of, uh, of home ownership, which we know is out of reach for far too many middle-income and low-income Coloradans. So we view it as a synergistic solution to, again, be first into the, to the segment, so to speak, once again, uh, be able to provide some product. Uh, and be able to revitalize said space. Ted, uh, Miha, if I, uh, Middle Income Housing Authority, if I read it correctly, is relatively new. Is that correct? It is. Peter, and Peter can speak more, more intelligently about it than I can. But yeah, it is a rather new entity within state government designed to, you know, attack the housing affordability problem using public resources. There's the real estate industry, as you know it, prepared to to address or I guess enter that uh, way of getting into uh, the condo development or, or do you have to convince them to get engaged? Uh, I think too early to tell on that, Earl. I think there'd be plenty of folks that would want that kind of fee service contractor work to you know work with Miha to, to create that kind of product. But conceptually, I think it's you know outside the box. I think all these big challenges, right? Whether it's Energy policy, housing policy, healthcare policy, oftentimes are in need of of a number of multiple different solutions. So, in that regard, you know that's something that I would love to learn more about and and try to help hash out. I unfortunately was at a University of Denver uh, seminar. When I say unfortunately, somebody brought up some uh, mountain uh, uh, some mountain area development activity or opportunity. And a person responded they wouldn't use it because of all the regulatory constraints associated with it, even though it was financially very viable. So, you know, not financially, it was attractive, but yet the regulatory paperwork made it very uh, difficult for them to want to use those the financing. So hopefully that's not the case here, too. Hey, I want to thank all of you for the joining me. Bruce, the fact that you were, you're there and you've seen all of the, I guess, the litigation and dealt with it, and the fact that you think that there's some way in which we, we can somehow turn this around and get condominium construction going again, I must tell you, you've made me feel a lot better than where I was when I began this podcast. And thank you for all of your efforts. And also, I want to thank you for getting engaged and seeing how the legislation can possibly change. Because, boy, you really know about it. Peter, you know, you're right there in the trenches. Uh, and you've you've been an advocate for what we need to do. And the thoughtfulness of which you put the study together, uh, we are indebted to you at CSI, as is the public. And, Ted, you're holding a lot of hands out there and trying to make certain that the folks down at the Capitol understand you know, what reality is with regards to your folks and what they can create. But all of you. Thank you so much. Uh, 
and you add so much to the dimensions of our state economy with everything you're doing to help us solve this issue. Any last comments? Sure. Well, the, the governor ought to be a strong ally on this effort because his his whole focus last year on increasing housing was more density. And the products that are going to create more density are going to be condominiums. Thanks, Bruce. Peter, any last comments? Yeah, I, I, or we, we can't abandon starter home creation. We cannot abandon this critical sector. Uh, the data doesn't lie. Um, and I'll also share that uh, to my friends that develop deeply affordable rental products. If you care about stable housing and affordable housing for extremely low-income Coloradans, you care about construction litigation. Uh, for every Coloradan who is overhoused in rental housing because they cannot uh, find an affordable and attainable home ownership product for them to move into, it, it, it proportionately impacts our extremely low-income Coloradans. And so while this may seem like it's an adjacent sector or segment, um, actually it is synergistic with our overall goals of housing every Coloradan, regardless of income. Thank you, Earl. Appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. Ted, any last comments? Sure. And again, thank you, Earl, for having me back on with you. It's been a pleasure. Um, you know, Peter talked about the housing continuum. I think it is broken. And I think it's largely because we have the issue that we've been talking about today, that we have not fed the market with enough starter product or, or first-time homeowner multifamily for sale or condominium product. Dr. King talked about the fierce urgency of now. Obviously, he was talking about civil rights. I think this is a pretty big issue in this day and age. Where do we house our fellow Coloradans? Um, so I think we you know, need to take the fierce urgency of now. Uh, we've got a huge critical mass of those that want to do something on housing policy. And as we've talked about um, throughout our time today, this is a necessary piece of any housing policy that will bring about more housing supply. Ted, thank you so much. I want to remind everybody that Peter's full report, which I would encourage everybody to take a look at, is on commonsenseinstituteco.org, www.commonsenseinstituteco.org. It's, it's really, once again, Peter, thank you. It's a, really a very thoughtful report. For, to all of you, thank you so much. And to our podcast uh, followers, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.